Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, and I'm going to read from verse 15. What then? Shall we sin, because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you're weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity, to ever-increasing wickedness, so now... Offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, free from the control of righteousness, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. At the start of this chapter, a similar question to the one we've just read in verse 15. In verse 15, what then shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? In verse 1, the question was, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In verse 1, the question is, do we continue as we are? Do we continue in sin? Paul has just said that where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So the, he imagines someone coming back and saying, well, let's stay as we are then. Is there any need to change? If we stay as we are in sin, grace will increase because that's what it does. And Paul comes back and says, by no means. A change is implicit. A, a change has to take place. Why? Well, he answers it by Uh, speaking about us being in Christ, involved in Jesus' death and his resurrection. We died with him, we're raised with him. If we're raised with him, we live a new life. We don't continue unchanged. Now the question seems to be repeated, but actually it's worded slightly differently here in verse 15. Shall we sin because we're not under law? Before, shall we continue in sin so that grace can increase? He's just made the point here in verse 14, you're not under law, but under grace. And so the question now is, if we're under grace, well, does sin really matter? Shall we sin because we're not under law? If we're under grace, presumably it doesn't matter. After all, if God loves me unconditionally, God loves me all the time, if God has forgiven me, Sin doesn't really matter, does it? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Previously, the question was, shall we sin so that grace can abound? Now the question is, because grace abounds, shall we sin? It's turning it round the other way. 
at the start of the chapter, he answers it by saying, no, we're united with Christ. Now he answers it in a rather different way, and a, a way that perhaps we can't particularly relate with. He answers it in terms of slavery. He says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Previously, it was we're in Christ. Now, it's about slavery. And he speaks about offering yourself to someone as a slave. We might say, this concept is totally bizarre. It's totally foreign to us. Who would ever do that? And the answer simply is that Paul is writing to Rome, and he knows that in Rome, that happens. It happened in the Roman Empire, that particularly people, perhaps, who were poor would volunteer to be a slave because actually it could be quite a good job. You'd lose your freedom, you become a slave, but there are undoubted benefits, particularly if you were a slave in a good house. You'd be housed, you'd be fed, you'd be clothed, you'd have a career path for the rest of your life, okay, as a slave, but you were secure. You could marry there, you could bring up children there. It was not a bad deal. And people volunteered for slavery. So Paul is using here a concept that people would be familiar with. As I've looked at this, I thought, now, is there anything comparable today that we could refer to uh, that maybe has the same kind of uh, implications? Now, the only thing I can think of, and it's not an exact parallel would be volunteering for the armed services. When you sign up, assuming it's in other ranks and not as an officer, this doesn't apply if you're an officer, but if you, you sign up in the ordinary ranks, then obviously you lose your freedom. You're under orders now. You could be posted to Afghanistan. You could, who, who knows? But you, there's, uh, there's discipline. You do as you're told, but there are benefits. There are benefits, particularly for a young lad who can't find employment. He can uh, enlist in maybe the army, and he learns a trade. And he's paid, his house is looked after. Okay, he could get killed, but we won't talk about that. But, you know, it's, it's, there are benefits. There's also a cost. I don't know if that's an exact parallel, but here, when Paul is writing to Rome, he's talking about something with which they are very familiar, that people did sign up as slaves. They did enlist to be a slave. So he says, when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you're slaves to the one whom you obey, whether slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. He talks about two kinds of slavery. And the first one, he speaks about being slaves of sin. And that, of course, is not something actually that we ever volunteered for. It was something that we were born into. All of us born into that slavery. You'll be familiar if you've been with us over the weeks that in chapter 5, Paul speaks about us being either in Adam or in Christ. And all of us are born in Adam. We are there by birth. And so we inherit Adam's sin, Adam's uh, inclination to rebel against God, to go his own way. That's where we're born, and we need a savior to bring us out into an, a new realm. We were born into slavery, and 
In that slavery then, we've got a master, and that master, Paul is saying here in chapter 6, is sin. Slaves to sin. Within that slavery in which we were born, people sometimes talk about having a free will. Well, I suppose a slave does have a free will to some extent. A slave is a slave. But within that slavery, a slave is free to make some choices, and we were free to make some choices, but we were not free to leave that slavery. And when people talk about free will, they often mean, I'm free to choose God or not choose God. No, we were slaves. We were slaves of sin. Within that slavery, we could make some choices, but we were free within a lack of freedom. Slaves of sin. And sin was a power that controlled us, that controlled our actions, more seriously, that controlled our thoughts. In Romans chapter 8 and uh, verse 7, it says, The sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. This slavery is not just telling us what to do, it's telling us what to think. It's a slavery that controls our emotions, that controls our desires. We were slaves of sin. And sin, as our slave master, insisted in certain ways of thinking and behaving. And sin insisted that we should be basically self-centered. That we should focus on ourselves and on our needs and our wants. And as self-centered people, that we would be basically independent if we could be. We'd find relating with other people a struggle. That's what you see right from the start of the Bible. As soon as sin comes into the story, relationships disintegrate. There's this principle of me, self-centered, I'm independent, I want to do my thing. And that independence is particularly independence towards God. Hostile to God, rebelling against God, resenting God, criticizing God. That's that slavery. And the outcome of it, Paul sets it out there in verse 19. You used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness. The outcome of this slavery then led to impurity and a downward spiral. Things do not improve in that slavery. It's downhill all the way. And verse 21 He speaks of things of which you are now ashamed. It led to shame and ultimately to death. The slave, however, as a slave is able to earn wages, says verse 23, the wages of sin is death. There's earning wages, but you get what you earn, and what you earn in that slavery is death and There is no human way out of that situation. A slave is not free to opt out of slavery. That's where we were. And Paul speaks of that in the past tense. That's where you were. But then he he speaks of being transferred out of that situation. And the way he describes that is in quite dramatic terms. In verse 17, he says, 
thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. Now you might say, well, what's remarkable about that? Well, it's one of those sentences that is very difficult to actually adequately convey in English. But what we see first of all is, Paul says, thanks be to God for this. In other words, God has done something. You thank God for things that God God does, and God has, uh, has, has achieved the rescue. It is God who has achieved the transfer from one situation to another. Only God can do it because we couldn't set ourselves free. So thanks be to God. In in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul expresses the same kind of thoughts in uh, in a slightly different way, but it's the same basic thing that he's saying. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says, verse 3, All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature objects of wrath. There is describing this slavery to sin. But then he says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. By grace, you have been saved. The transfer achieved by God. And because it's God who does it, and because it's wonderful that it should have happened, it's amazing that we should even be looking at the question that is asked in verse 15. Does it matter if we sin? Now, God has rescued us out of that slavery. Of course it matters if we behave like that. But nonetheless, what we're looking at here is it's God who has rescued us. But the question is how? He says, thanks be to God that you used to be slaves to sin, but you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. Paul speaks there about a form of teaching. And that word form is a good translation because the word refers to something. It refers to a mold. You know a mold where you you pour something liquid in and it sets and it takes the shape of the mold. It is formed by that mold. And, And Paul is speaking here about a mold into which we were poured. You wholeheartedly obeyed this mold. And it was a mold, a form of teaching. Paul has never been to Rome. He doesn't know these people. And maybe what he's saying here is what he hopes happened. But he's speaking of it as if it has happened. And he's saying effectively this. When you became a Christian, you didn't just make a decision. You didn't just say, yeah, I believe there's a God. And I believe that somehow, by faith in God, I can be forgiven. It wasn't something vague like that. Paul is confident, he's hoping, that there was a, a, form, a body of teaching that they were told about and they got poured into that teaching so that it has now effectively shaped their lives. They were slaves to sin. As slaves to sin, that affected the way they thought. It affected the way they felt. It affected their ambitions, their desires, their, all of that everything's got to change. It's not enough to simply receive a message of, I can be forgiven. If our gospel is as inadequate as that, it's wonderful to be forgiven. But if that is our gospel, I'm forgiven, well then it doesn't matter what I do. 
If God loves me anyway, there's nothing I can do to make him love me more or make, make him love me less. Well, who cares then? Why make an effort? Can you imagine if that was the gospel, there is a God and he's willing to forgive you. If that was the gospel that was preached in the first century, how did the church spread all around the Mediterranean area? Why did they bother? Why didn't they just say, God loves me anyway? Hey, chill out. You read, the early church devoted themselves continually to prayer. Why bother? You're tired at the end of the day. Why bother to pray? And they, they were continually together. Why? It's not all about meetings, is it? I'm forgiven anyway. God loves me. I'm in the grace of God. Why? But the church would never have spread. We would never have heard the gospel. There would never have been any martyrs if that was the gospel. But Paul is confident. They heard something greater than that. They didn't just hear there is a God and he's willing to forgive you. They would have heard something like what he sets out in chapter 3. Chapter 3 And verse 22, or verse 21, he says, Now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. There's some big ideas here, some big concepts here. This was the form of teaching. God, it says here in this version, presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his, in his blood. God presented him as a propitiation, one who suffers the wrath of God on our behalf, in our place, so that through faith in his blood shed there on the cross, we can be forgiven. It's an amazing gospel. It's not just there is a God and he's willing to forgive you. Look at what he's done. Look at the fact that he, God himself suffered in our place. It's an amazing gospel. That's what he is confident they will have heard. And they, then he goes on to say, this, this form of truth, he says, thanks be to God, you, this form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You expect him to say, this form of teaching which was entrusted to you. But he turns it the other way around. He doesn't say that the truth was entrusted to you. He says, you were entrusted to the truth. In other words, you have been put into that mold and inevitably it will shape your life. It will change the way you think. It will change the way you behave. It will change what people see when they look at you. It, it doesn't change your physical shape but it changes the shape of your life. Shall we, shall we sin because we're not under law? Does sin matter? No, Paul says, you were controlled by sin, but now you have been entrusted to some, some truth. You've been poured into the mold of truth and it shapes you, doesn't it? There's Paul can't be sure this has happened. He's never been to Rome. He doesn't know how they heard the gospel. But really, say, this did happen, didn't it? 
This is what happened. This is why you are a Christian now. You have been entrusted to the truth. It's not that you've got hold of the truth. It's the truth has got hold of you. And the truth has got hold of you now to shape your life so that you will never be the same again. It's going to make you into what God wants you to be. In fact, what God wants you to be, he wants you to be like his son. You've been entrusted into that. So then was it all passive that somehow we didn't do anything? God got hold of us and poured us into a mold. Well, God did get hold of us and pour us into a mold, but that's not all that he says. He says, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. Yes, God got hold of us. God put the truth there. God put us into that. How? Because we wholeheartedly, not not superficially, not casually, not in an offhand kind of way. Yeah, I kind of agree. No, wholeheartedly, he says, you obeyed this. You received it, you believed it, and you wholeheartedly obeyed it. Paul can be confident of that, a commitment to the truth from the heart. She's answering this question. Does it matter if we sin? And already we're beginning to see our hope. Of course it matters. We were never intended to live like that. We were there, but something has happened to transfer us into another situation. So thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves to sin, you couldn't get out of that. You were slaves. It controlled you. It was a power that dominated every part of your life. That's where you used to be, but you wholeheartedly obeyed this pattern of teaching into which you were committed. And so... You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. It doesn't just say, so you have been set free from sin. Full stop. No. Transferred into another slavery. So that's bad news. Well, if you want to be totally free, it is. But the gospel is about a different kind of freedom from the kind of freedom someone who is in sin would want. Because the person who is in sin, what what have we said? They're self-centered. They're independent. They don't relate well. And so the idea of freedom is not having to relate, to be totally independent, to have no one telling you what to do. That's what a person in sin would want. But this is talking about what God has done. God is not appealing to the sinful conscience to give a sinner what a sinner wants. God is saying, your whole being is wrong. Now I'm putting you into a whole new mold that will shape you in a different way. And actually now, as you're changed, you will begin to see the desirability of something else. Do you remember when we were talking about being in Adam and being in Christ? It's unfortunate for the people sitting down that side under the balcony, but I said, that side is Adam, and I imagined the banners along there saying things like sin, condemnation, death. And then over the other side, the virtuous people, this is in Christ, and their righteousness, justification, life. 
And I said, we're either one side or the other. There is nowhere in between. We're born in Adam. We come into Christ. Well, let's use that same image again. Only that side, slavery to sin. The, there is something in between. What's in between is being, whole, being poured into this mold of truth so that we come into, yes, a different slavery. We come into being slaves of obedience. He says there uh, in verse 16, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you're slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. We now have a new owner. Our previous owner was sin. Our new owner is righteousness or obedience. Totally different kind of owner. Obviously behind the one is the devil, behind the other is God. The truth has gripped us. We've been poured into this mold of of truth. It's gripped us. We were entrusted to it. it. It has got hold of us. Jesus said something like this. In fact, what Jesus said lies behind much of what Paul is saying in this chapter. And it's recorded in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8 and uh, in verse 32, he says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They said, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. But he says, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He goes on to say that if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Well, absolutely free then to be independent? No, to belong to the Son, to belong to God to be out of everything that was shameful and into something so very different, free and yet not free. A wise man has once said that absolute freedom is the freedom to never do wrong. Think about it. Absolute freedom is the freedom to never do wrong. You might say, but surely... Real freedom is when you can do either right or wrong. Absolute freedom is the freedom to never do wrong. When we are finally in heaven, there will be no more sin. That's absolute freedom. We can't do wrong. It's the freedom where we will never have to say sorry again. The kind of freedom... When no one, well, I think this, the freedom when no one will ever give me one of those looks and say, I can't believe you just said that. (laughs) You never do wrong. Never say wrong. That's freedom to always be clear with God and relating with God. We were slaves to sin where we were hostile to God, we just wanted to do it our way. Real freedom is to be out of that where we just want to do it God's way. 
It's not what do I want. It's what does God want. Because God's way is good because God is good. Real freedom is to enjoy God. And to therefore do what he says. That's, that's slavery, yes. We're under a master. But what slavery? An old prayer said, whom to serve is perfect freedom. Yeah, that's real freedom. To be his slave. And that's what grace is all about. Grace is not freedom where nothing matters, where it doesn't matter if we sin, God loves me anyway. Yes, God loves me anyway, but his unconditional love doesn't mean to say, I'm going to just take it lightly. His unconditional love is going to make me so grateful. I say, I gladly obey before I couldn't. If I wanted to, I was just frustrated because I could never come up with what I wanted to do. But the grace of God changes me. I'm poured into this mold of truth where it changes the way I think, it changes the way I behave, changes the way I feel. Everything changes. So it's not sin doesn't really matter because God loves me anyway. It's God loves me unconditionally. God has saved me from things of which I'm now ashamed. And therefore, I'm believing for grace to be able to obey him. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law? No, you haven't understood at all. That's what Paul is really saying. Don't you know? It's, it's a question that comes out of not really understanding the gospel. If we're slaves of obedience... Well, that has an outcome, just as being slaves of sin did. In verse 16, he says, obedience, which leads to righteousness. And so he's able to say uh, in verse 19, offer the parts of your body in slavery to righteousness. Being right with God, behavior that is right with God, obedience leading to that righteous standing with God, And that, he says in verse 19, leads to holiness. That's the goal. God has always wanted a holy people. The law of God never enabled people to be holy. It told them how to be holy. It didn't enable them to be holy. And because of that principle of independence, people reacted against the law, looked for the loopholes, looked for how to be able to appear to be keeping the law while breaking it. It led to all of that stuff. No, we could never be holy that way. God has always wanted a holy people. And so he has provided for us to be holy. Not provided for us to say sin doesn't matter, does it? But to say, no, I'm now a slave of righteousness. Something has gripped my heart. This form of teaching has gripped my heart. It's gripped my will. It's gripped my passion. I can't just drift I've got to be passionate about God. I've got to be committed to God. I've got to be committed to this book and what it says because he's enabled me to be. Because I can be. Because I'm free from being the slave I was. I'm a different kind of slave now. A very willing slave. Because that's real freedom to enjoy God. Righteousness that leads to holiness. And verse 22, holiness 
that leads to eternal life. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result, eternal life. Is he saying there, oh, eternal life then is earned by holiness? Well, what he says there could give rise to that understanding or misunderstanding. The benefit you reap leads to holiness. The result is eternal life. Oh, right, you have eternal life if you're holy. Well, he makes it clear the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We don't earn it. It's always a gift. The question then, does sin matter? Many people who hear grace being taught are troubled by that teaching because they think it implies that we're going soft on sin or that God has gone soft on sin. Paul is is teaching grace so that you could come back at him like that. And he imagines people coming back at him like that. But it's very clear that's not what he's teaching. He's teaching about grace that enables you to change. Grace that brings you into Christ so you're a new person. Grace where holiness is not just something that frustrates you and taunts you. But now it's wonderfully possible. So the question, does sin matter? It's a wrong question. Paul effectively comes back with another question. Who are you obeying? Who are you obeying? When you offer, don't you know, he says, that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him, you're slaves to the one whom you obey. So the question is, who are you obeying? That's what he kind of implies as he responds to their question. You're obeying sin? Or are you obeying righteousness? Because when you obey something, you're its, it's, you're its, you're its slave. So whose slave are you? That's what he's saying. And he's saying, he's charitably assuming, you're not slaves of sin. You heard this wonderful gospel, not a superficial gospel. You heard this real gospel. And it got hold of you. It changed you. It changed what you're believing for. It changed your faith. It changed everything. And so now you can't say, can I still sin? It's, no, I don't have to sin. I'm free not to, and I don't want to. I'm now pursuing righteousness and pursuing eternal life. God's amazing salvation puts demands on us. We're slaves. His slaves. What a slave master. God. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God of amazing grace. He said, you're mine. I've got you. And we say, I don't want to go free. I don't want to get out of your embrace. Oh God, I don't want to get out of your hand. I want to stay there. And I'm going to make sure all my actions indicate that's who I belong to. Not can, no, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You'll either love the one and hate the other or love the other and hate the one. You you just can't do it. Who are you serving? Who are you obeying? Sin or righteousness? Now, we can slip, but we're not serving that. We're serving God because of the truth, this form of truth, which has gripped us, changed us, and the change is ongoing. So God's amazing salvation 
demands that we embrace it wholeheartedly, enthusiastically, with gratitude, but also with faith that this is going to go on changing. We understand grace. We understand his truth is going to go on changing us until finally we're so close to him we don't realize we've passed through death and we're just with him forever. Is that your goal? Is that what you're looking for? Or have you perhaps still not fully understood? You haven't understood grace. You have maybe misunderstood it to think it means just behaving how you want to. Or you've misunderstood it totally and you're still living under law. No, we're out of that. We're into Christ. And in Christ, we press on in holiness. Slaves, slaves of righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can say this morning, and we've been praising you for it, that you didn't leave us where we were. We thank you that you came to us with a mighty hand and took hold of us. And we thank you for the truth, this teaching about Jesus, your wonderful grace, redemption, justification, these big words that are so full, so rich in meaning. We thank you for all that those words indicate. We say, Lord, thank you for allowing that truth to grip us and wholeheartedly, O oh God, we say we embrace that truth. Now, O oh God, we don't want there to be any question about who we're obeying. We want to settle it. We're obeying you. We're living for you. O oh God, O oh God, forgive us when we get casual. Forgive us when we, we just get lazy. But, O oh God, we'd come back to you now and say, Lord, the truth has gripped us. And we are yours, O oh God, and we intend to live with you, enjoying you forever, because we know, O oh God, that's your intention, and that's why you took hold of us. So, Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and respond. to